This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hi, this is Dan Fouts, and you're listening to Clark and Ira on the I Test for Two podcast. Coach Contributor Committee met Tuesday to choose a candidate for the class of 2023. And after four hours of presentation, just four hours via a Zoom call, came up with one name. And the winner is, drumroll please, Ira, former Cards and Charges head coach Don Coriel. Ira, are you surprised? Clark, I'm going to tell you why Don Coriel's family is celebrating this morning. You want to know why, Clark? Yes. Because of a slash. The slash between coach and contributor, because I think some of the 12 voters in that Zoom call on Tuesday morning were also thinking of Coriel as a contributor as well as a coach. And Clark, that pushed them over the finish line. Couldn't agree with you more, Ira. It was his seventh time as a finalist. And in his previous six, obviously, he didn't make it. Once he was a top 10 finalist, that was in 2016. And I remember after the last time he didn't make it, and I think that was uh, that well, the centennial class, but the last time he didn't make it as a modern era finalist, which was 2019, I said, he's got to go into a different category. And so they created the coaching category. And when I realized that he didn't finish among the top guys in the coaching category in 2021 and 2022, I said, He's got to go in as a contributor. That's the only chance he and Clark Shaughnessy have. And you're right. That made all the difference in the world to have him as a coach slash contributor. And uh, I'm very happy for him, Clark. And I'm going to give you uh, 30 seconds, Clark. Uh, You push for a guy. I know you're a little crestfallen. um, But uh, talk about your guy for a minute. Yeah, Buddy Parker was the guy presented uh, to the – committee of 12 voters and uh it was the second guy out of the box and i i thought this is going to resonate with people uh i thought he was the most qualified coach i covered don i'm a Coriel supporter but i thought buddy was the most qualified coach i don't understand why he's not in the pro football hall i think we talked about this last week um he won two consecutive championships with detroit was took him to a third straight championship game then set up the the fourth championship team um, in 2000, 2000, 1957, before leaving, much like Jimmy Johnson did. And as I pointed out, he was Jimmy Johnson before Jimmy Johnson, except he was better. <laughs> he won more games. He had a better winning percentage. Um, and he went to more NFL championship games. But as I mentioned, uh, I was one of the 12 voters on that committee on Tuesday. And, uh, and frankly, I, I was stunned. I, I was stunned. I, as I mentioned, I, I presented Buddy Parker, um, who was denied again but was bullish on Don Coriel because of how he changed offenses. 
with that relentless passing game, Eric Coriel, uh, Mike Martz referred to it as the father. Of, he's referred to it down as the father of the modern passing game. And, and the, chief, the defense is how he changed them because they had to accommodate themselves or, or try to defend those uh, Eric Coriel offenses. They had to defend those things. So they had to change defenses too. And um, he had influence on both sides of the ball, Ira. And Clark, um, tell our uh, resident New England expert, uh, Ian Glendon, our crack producer, um, I assume Robert Kraft generated a lot of chatter yesterday. He did. He did. He, did. he, he was among the top finishers. We uh, cut from 12 to, uh, we're supposed to cut from 12 to six, but there was a tie. So we cut from 12 to eight, and then we're supposed to cut the three, but we made it four because there was another tie. So it went from 12 to eight to four. He was one of the top four finishers. Um, he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. The only question is, when is that time going to be? Um, Ira, I want people to understand this now, uh, just so everyone's on the same page here. This does not mean that Don Coriel is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Doesn't mean that. Like the three seniors who were nominated last week, and you are part of that senior committee, he must get 80% of the vote of the entire board of selectors. That's 49 voters. The entire vote board of selectors when it meets prior to Super Bowl 57, which I think will be probably in late January. So stay tuned, right? I think by my mathematics, Clark, um, 10 no votes could keep a senior or uh, Don Coriel out of Canton. 10 it no votes. It could. I think the three seniors, if it were going to happen, and it hasn't happened since 2012 with Dick Stanfield, if it were to happen, I would guess it could be with the three seniors, although I'm not sure why, but simply because you have three choices. So it's easier to ding one of those guys if you have three. When you have only one candidate, Don Coriel's the only candidate we bring out from the coach contributor committee. That's a repudiation of the entire committee. And so if that's the case, you probably should reform the committee. Absolutely. There's no reason to think that the three seniors or Coriel will be struck down in January. I'd be shocked. Me I'd too. be shocked. Me too. Now, I said voters want a Zoom call Tuesday, and we were. So when Don's name was announced, I looked at Dan Faust, and Dan's one of the 12 voters on the coach slash contributor committee, and he buried his head in his hands. So I asked him later if it was out of relief or emotion, and he said, a little of both. We are fortunate to have Dan with us today to detail what Tuesday was like for him. And first things first, Dan, thanks so much for being here. Secondly... How surprised were you when the announcement was made? Well, you know, it's been so many times that Don has been a finalist, as we all know. And uh, I was just bracing for more disappointment, really, because it's such a strong class and so many you know, worthy candidates that uh, fit the bill in the coaches contributor category. But nobody fit it exactly to the T as uh, Don Coriel did. But. Still, you, you never know, and I'm, I'm still uh, very concerned and nervous about the next step because we've been there before with Coach Coriel and been turned away. So uh, I'm not taking anything for granted. Uh, I will come back to the selectors meeting uh, with guns blazing if I need to. I am not nervous or concerned because you're going to make the presentation, Dan. I've got all the faith in the world in you as I did yesterday. Um, I know how emotional John Madden was when he spoke of Don as memorial service, and, and you referenced that yesterday. 
when you talked about uh, Don and, and what he meant. What were your first thoughts on Tuesday when you heard his name mentioned? When you heard Jim Porter, the, the uh, president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, say, Don Coriel, what were your first thoughts? Uh, you know, I wish I, wish I could really uh, give you a clear answer on that because uh, just the relief that washed over me, the fact that uh, Don is one step closer now to where he should be, and uh, I'm just so darn happy and, and really at a loss for words because, uh, as I said, I was braced for disappointment where I would have had a lot of words to say, <laughs> but when I got the good news, as we all did, um, you know, I just, I just felt so, just so pleased. Dan, I, I want to take you back to uh, 78. Dan Coriel comes in. You're, you're one and three with the Chargers. Dan, you're, you're in your mid twenties. Dan, you hadn't had a lot of success uh, as a team or yourself personally. You're off to a one and three start. Dan, how'd you feel about your career at that point, and um, and and how did Coriel turn turn things around? Well, my career was uh, two steps from the dumpster. That's there's no question about that. Uh, the the numbers speak for themselves, and our record speaks for itself. In fact, I played so poorly that they finally fired Tommy Prothrow and hired Don Coriel. Um, that was part of my plan, Ira, but. Uh, how did we turn things around? I mean, uh, he came in like a, a really a, a breath of fresh air and gave us just not a, a new attitude, <clears throat> excuse me, but he also gave us, you know, a way to work and way to, to have success with a tremendous pass offense. He didn't put it all in at once. He kept a lot of the things that we had that, that were successful, but, uh, we just kept building and building, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we get a tight end like uh, Kellen Winslow, and we've got this wide receiver named John Jefferson, and oh yeah, don't forget about the other guy, Charlie Joyner, uh, and my goodness, uh, weapons and ways to use those weapons in, in the most creative and innovative ways. Dan, uh, so much has been made uh, of, of Don as, as an innovator, uh, as a mentor. Um, Dan, did uh, did Coriel talk to you much about um, guys like Sid Gilman that might have influenced him, Dan, through the years? No, it was it was obvious though that uh, that Sid was a you know he influenced so many coaches, and the fact that they were both in the same city uh, while Sid was coaching the Chargers, Don was up on the hill at San Diego State, so um, I'm sure they spent a lot of time together and. A lot of coaches, uh, you know, just watch other coaches and, and see what they do. And, and that's how they learn as much as by uh, sitting down and talking X's and O's. So I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, now that Don is, is that much closer to being in the hall with Sid Gilman, uh, it's, it's quite a, a tribute for really all the fans at San Diego, in San Diego of the Aztecs and of the Chargers. We're speaking with Hall of Fame quarterback and now Hall of Fame voter Dan Fouts on the eye test for two. And Dan, one of the poignant moments yesterday was when you were talking about all the testimonials to Don Corio and you read a litany from Hall of Fame coaches and coaches of note. 
But then you read a letter and it was from Hall of Fame coach Bill Walsh and it was addressed to you. And I think it was in the, the 90s, mid 90s, maybe. Um, could you kind of, without going into great detail, uh, mm -hmm. let our listeners know what was involved in that letter? Because quite honestly, I thought that turned the room. I really did think it turned the room. Well, in 1993, uh, my Hall of Fame class consisted of, you know, Walter Payton, Larry Little, Chuck Knoll, and Bill Walsh. Uh, and if you go back, you know, what, 17 years from there, I spent one season with Bill Walsh as uh, as my offensive coordinator in 1976 and had a great relationship with him and, um, and uh, miss him dearly. But in 1995, he sent me a copy of the letter that he sent to Don Coriel. Uh, and the letter just explained to Don how much Bill admired him and how much he learned from him and how much he changed the game. Uh, I, I thought that, uh, you know, the, the letter was so powerful that I had to share it with the, with the voters because uh, here is one, uh, you know, Super Bowl winning champion, Hall of Fame coach, uh, kind of a peek inside his mind and the the way that uh, he respected Don Coriel. And, you know, Clark and Ira, the, one of the crazy things about life is that about six months ago, I was cleaning out a drawer in my desk and I found that letter. And I said, oh, my God, this this is unbelievable. I had forgotten I had put it in this drawer so many years ago. You know, what's you know, 1995. So anyway, um, uh, I, uh, I wanted to share that and really have the voters feel uh, what Bill Walsh felt and how he felt about Don Coriel. And you, you did that because I do think it swung the room and I had more than one voter tell me that as well. Uh, it was a powerful letter, as you mentioned. Um, I know that People asking, you know, about Don as, as a coach and the three and six playoff record and all that, and no going to the Super Bowl. But Ira and I feel very strongly, and I think you might as well, that if we can get away from that, the fact that we made it coach slash contributor really enhanced his chances for getting into the hall. Because for all of those who want to diminish him because of a playoff record, and let's be honest, uh, George Allen had a two and seven playoff record and, and lost the only Super Bowl performance he was involved in, but he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame too. But um, listen, I'm not trying here to, to, to diminish George, but if it works for one, it's got to work for the other. And and so when they made him a coach slash contributor, it seemed to me to really enhance his chances. And, and I thought that might take him to the top. I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but do you agree that the fact that we've combined these two groups, at least for three years, made his chances for getting to Canton more likely. There's, there's no question. How many times, uh, you know, was Coriel a finalist and coming out of the room when he didn't make it, uh, voters would come up to me and, and say, you know, if he was just in a different category away from the players, uh, because he was such a great contributor, uh, right. that, you know, it would enhance his chances. And, uh, you know, I like alliteration, Clark, you know, and, and, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, contributor Coriel, and now perhaps Canton. That, so put it that all was, together. 
that was the way you concluded that speech. And that was powerful. That really was powerful. <laughs> but I agree with you when when he didn't make it in 2019 as a modern era finalist. I said, you know what? He's got to go into a different category. If they could, could create one. They did. They created the coaching category. And he didn't make it with Centennial Class or 2021 or 2022. And I remember writing something that uh, you and I spoke about later is that um, he's got to be in a different category. I mean, if they could come up with something, if they could just mesh the coaching contributor, which they did this past spring, that to me opened the door for him and Clark Shaughnessy, quite honestly. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's so many great candidates every year in every category. Uh, it, it's a very you know, difficult position for all the selectors. I have so much respect for the hard work that goes into, you know, vetting all these candidates. And you and I have been such a big part of that for so many years. Uh, it, it, this podcast gives me a chance to thank you two, along with all the other selectors, for what they do every year and how difficult and how much time it takes and how passionate people are about their uh, certain choices. Dan, you're, you're on fire today with the alliteration, Dan. I got to give you the credit. <laughs> Uh, Dan, talk a little bit about um, Coriel's persona, Dan, after some of these brutal losses. Um, Dan, I'm looking at 79, you know, second year for Coriel. Dan, you, ha you had a hell of a team. I mean, you were second in offense. You were second in defense. You played Houston, Dan, in that first round playoff, and I think the Chargers were favored in the game. I think it was at home, and – what, what was he like after a loss like that, Dan? How did he handle it? Well, none of us handled it very well, and I really appreciate you bringing up one of the worst games I've ever had. Um, yeah, thanks, Ira. <laughs> after I was so nice to you, Ira. I mean, I, I, I thank you and complimented you. Um, yeah, we'll, just, we'll just say that was Dan Faust who joined us. Thank you very much, Dan. <laughs> you know, the thing about uh, Don is that Whatever happened in the past uh, didn't matter. It's what's going to happen in the future. And really, that came down to like almost every play in a game. Uh, I would miss a couple of passes, and uh, he would, you know, say, how you doing? I said, I don't know, Coach. I can't hit the side of the barn. He said, that's okay. You're going to throw it 40 more times today. And, and that was the thing that gave me uh, relief, number one, and, and also – uh, confidence that he had confidence in me. So, uh, you know, we rarely went for it on fourth and short because we were going to get it on the next series of downs when we got the ball back. Uh, that was always his attitude and very positive and uh, upbeat. Um, but, you know, you, you uh, play for a guy like that as a quarterback, and, and I'm, I'm really the envy of so many past and present and even future quarterbacks because I've got to play for a guy for nine years like Don Coriel. Dan, I want to ask you about two of your former teammates. Um, disparate paths they took, but Dan, in terms of talent, pure talent, um, talk a little bit about Jefferson, Dan, uh, how you felt when he was going through that contract squabble and you saw him leave. He hadn't even reached his prime. Um, Dan, the, the guy could be talked. He could be talked about in Canton if maybe that move had never happened, and he stayed with Dan Fouts and, and Chuck Muncie. 
Clark and I both talked about the talent of this guy, Dan, and you just look back at these two guys and you, you wonder what if. Yeah, no question. Uh, JJ's departure was very deflating, obviously, for our team because uh, he had a larger-than-life personality. And really, uh, if you remember the Charger Power yellow T-shirts and the, and the placards the fans would wave, he was basically the uh, – he, he started all that stuff. And uh, back in those days, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, jumping around and pointing at the opponent and all those crazy things that J.J. would do. But he backed it up with just tremendous play. And he bailed me out so many times with one-handed catches and uh, just impossible plays. Uh, so that, that took us a while to, to get over that. But fortunately for us, uh, we made a trade for Wes Chandler, who was drafted in the same year as J.J. and James Lofton. Uh, I think they went one, two, three with, with J.J. being the third. Uh, so Wes was uh, highly skilled. And when he came in, uh, we didn't miss a beat because so many things that he could do, uh, so similar to what J.J. could do. And as far as Muncie is concerned, just a tremendous athlete, a big, strong, powerful, tough, all those, uh, you know, adjectives you want in a running back. And uh, he had it all. And, and uh, just tragic that uh, things turned out the way they did for him. Uh, but what a, he was a tremendous teammate and uh, a human, a wonderful human being. And I'm going to test not necessarily your memory, but your selectivity here. What's your best Don Coriel story? Because as someone who covered that team for 10 years, there are so many of them. And I know you've got a raft of them. I've heard some of them. But what's your best one? What's the one you tell most? <laughs> well, which, which uh, version? Uh, PG? X-rated? <laughs> I don't know. We're going to have to ask our producer, Ian Glennon. Uh, but PG? Yeah. X-rated? What are we doing, Ian? <laughs> He's yeah, saying, yeah, no, I, open yeah, book. Yeah. <laughs> open book. Yeah, I, I, I really wish I could uh, let you inside, uh, have a peek inside. But uh, as you said, Clark, there are so many, and it just really depends on uh, who you're with when you're when you're talking about coach. And, and now that the news is getting out that he's got a, you know, a real good chance. Um, you know, those, those stories will, will come out, and I'm sure you'll hear some from a lot of different places. But um, right now, I, I just uh, – I don't I don't know if I want to make fun of Coach Coriel. And that's what we did so often. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we had we had nicknames for him and, and, uh, and crazy stuff, but uh, it was all in good nature. Um, two questions, two-part questions. First of all, have you been in touch with anyone from his family, A – and then B, who was the first person you called after the meeting on Tuesday? Well, I didn't call anybody because, as you know, uh, we were uh, forbidden to uh, right. even talk to anybody about uh, who was selected. So um, I, I waited until this morning uh, when the news came out and, and uh, you know, I've talked to a couple of people. As far as the family's concerned, um, I did put the hall in in touch with Lonnie Lewis, Don's uh, granddaughter. And uh, I was waiting because it is a, a time difference to give the family a call this morning. Good. Dan, I got one more. Thanks so much for your time, Dan. Uh, Dan, sitting here in Tampa, I, I can't let it go. I can't let it go when I get Dan Fouts on the phone. 
Dan, they got a quarterback here. He wears number 12. Dan, he's 45 years old. Dan, 45. I dare say you were 36, Mr. Fouts, when you hung it up. 36. This guy's still going. Dan, some of your thoughts about the remarkable Mr. Brady. Well, you know, they talk about the dog days of summer, and, and that's what they're going through with training camp now, although they're more like puppy dog days. Um, <laughs> the, my 36 years there were dog years, though. <laughs> so as far as Tom, you know, I, I interviewed Tom when he was a senior in high school at Sarah High School in San Mateo. And, and my assignment uh, as sports director at Channel 5 there in San Francisco was to go out, meet, and rate the five top high school prospects going off to college. And so I met with Tom Brady and um, interviewed him and uh, came back to uh, give my report. And I said, believe it or not, I said, this guy is the real deal. He is going to be something else. Uh, uh, enough said, I think, now that he's – 45 going on 46. He is the real deal, and uh, I have so much respect for him and, and what he's been able to accomplish. What sets him apart, Dan? What sets him apart? What doesn't? Um, you know, I, I think, obviously, the, the toughness is not really uh, talked about that much with Tom, but he's 45, okay? Uh, he's tough. Uh, and part of that is being smart. Uh, tremendous uh, discipline, uh, knowledge. Um, you know, you just go down the uh, the grocery list of what you would want in an ideal quarterback. Uh, in that interview uh, that I did when he was 17 years old, he did mention that he's working on his speed. <laughs> that he's success. He has been a success in that area. Yeah, we all saw that at the combine. <laughs> it's too bad the 49ers didn't listen to you, Dan, because I was covering them during that time. And I remember when they brought in the kids for the local workouts, you know, and before the, the draft, and that was in 2000. And they brought him in, had a 45-minute workout, and he left, and they didn't draft him. They drafted two quarterbacks, didn't draft him. But I asked Mariucci about it later, and also the, the late Greg Knapp, uh, who worked him out. He was the quarterback's coach. And they said there was nothing really special about him in terms of the tangibles. I mean, they said – the arm strength wasn't that great. Uh, he, he didn't run that fast, blah, blah, blah. And Mary Uchi said, I just wish we were able to measure the intangibles because that's what really drives this guy. And, yeah, he's right about that. That's why I think, you know, you, you look at all that stuff, height, weight, size, whatever. It's kind of what's inside a quarterback, right? There's no question. And it's, it is immeasurable. So uh, in Tom's case, drafted in the sixth round, <laughs> how many – how many teams are, are still kicking themselves and yeah. how many general managers have been fired since that time when he was drafted in the sixth round? Yeah. Good question. Um, last one for me on, on Don. Um, if you could talk to Don today, if you were alive, what would you tell him about this, about, you know, being on the way to the hall of fame? Maybe he's not there, but he's, he's certainly halfway there. I'd say it's about time coach, uh, but hang in there. We got one more game to play. <laughs> Good advice. Dan Fouts, thanks so much for the time. And I promise you, if and when Don is enshrined, I will see you in Canton next summer. I will uh, be there for a, a number of reasons. Uh, it's my 30th anniversary of the class of 1993. And uh, what really would 
like to give a special nod to Bill Walsh, uh, my classmate for 1993. Outstanding. Thanks so much, Dan. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure, guys. Take care. That was Hall of Fame quarterback Dan Fouts and Ira. Um, I know people don't know about the process, and I'm talking about how we decide this, but you were in the senior room. I was in the coach slash committee room, uh, coach slash uh, uh, contribution, uh, contributor uh, committee room. And what we do is we go from 12 to 6 to 3. But as I mentioned before, because we had a tie, we went from 12 to 8 to 3, but it became 4 because of another tie there. So little bit um, odd, but there was, as Dan mentioned, there's such a, a, a list of deserving people. I mean, we had Robert Kraft, uh, Clark Shaughnessy, as I mentioned, Mike Holmgren, Buddy Parker, whom I presented, John Wooten, Dan Reeves, Mike Shanahan, Art Rooney Jr., the list goes on and on, Rooney Arledge. But um, anyway, it, it's it's tough to make one, one decision out of that group of 12. You had three. For one, it's really tough. It, it is. It's, it's excruciating, uh, uh, Clark. Uh, and I understand the fans, you know, the Randy Gratishar fans are upset. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, right. You know, the, the Bob Kuchenberg fans are, are upset, the Ken Anderson fans. We understand it, Clark. But until you're in that room making these hard calls, you, you don't know what it's like. Wait a minute. Yep. I hear him. Don't tell me somebody was somewhere. Yeah, I was. I was in San Diego, 1984. It was my first year covering the Chargers. So they've got a Monday night game, right? I think it was against Seattle. Anyway, um, I stayed after a practice to watch the Monday Night Crew film Dan Fouts and Charlie Joyner. And what they did was they blindfolded Dan Fouts, had Charlie Joyner go to the right end position, run 10 yards down the field, and do an out. And they said, let's see if it can complete the pass. Dan goes, no problem. Drops back, throws the ball right on the money, right on the money, blindfolded. Oh, and you got to be kidding me. This system is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. That's how good they were at that time, Ira. Clark, I can name you 10 NFL quarterbacks that can't make that pass without a blindfold. <laughs> and they all played for the Bucks at one time. <laughs> Hey, Ira, any got any final thoughts? Uh, you know, you uh, when I found out that Coriel was going in, Clark, I I I, I smiled. I, I was very gratified because Clark, I, I was in the room all those years that Coriel was turned away, along with a lot of other deserving candidates. And you and I talked about it. How are we going to get this guy in? How are we going to get this guy in? He was so influential. It's not the coaching record per se, but he's his impact. And Clark, we don't have to have that conversation. He's not in yet, Clark. But he's, he's not on the in. Door. He's on he's the doorstep. On, he is. He is on the doorstep. And I was gratified too. I really gratified. Uh, unfortunately, today I'm not so gratified because I heard that Len Dawson passed away. And and you and I both remember Len Dawson as a player. And I think of him in that Super Bowl four passing made to Otis Taylor against the Vikings for a touchdown. Great quarterback, died Tuesday, uh, died, I think Tuesday or Wednesday. But anyway, uh, he died this week at the age of 87. Very sad because he just brings back all those memories. I met him once and he was as great a, a guy as he was a quarterback. Very easy to talk, just down to dirt earth guy. And, and and he had a big career as a TV guy, Clark. He uh, did. He had a huge... I think inside the NFL or whatever that show was. Yeah, yeah. with Nick Bornacani. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah a terrific guy. Anyway, uh, Len Dawson gone too soon at the age of 87. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, if you want to hear more I Test for Two podcasts, 
Just go to fullpresscoverage.com, find the podcast icon. Very easy to do. And then just click on the test for two. Otherwise, well, we'll see you in here next week. Thanks so much for listening.